Filmmaker Commentary, episode 33. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm here with... Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. And today we are going to go over the film Boys in the Hood, 1991, directed and written by John Singleton at the age of 22. Young. Yeah. Young blood. So if this is your first time listening to Filmmaker Commentary, what we do here is we look at some of our favorite DVDs and Blu-rays, we listen to the commentary, we take out tips from those commentaries and deliver them to you so you don't have to listen to them. So this film had a budget of $6.5 million mm-hmm. and uh, gross five, $57.5 million. Was that about right? That yeah, right? that's the same thing I have. All right. That's a win. That is an absolute <laughs> win. After that, you're like, all right, John Singleton, young man, what do you want to do next? Right. Here are the keys. Yeah, right. You just put them in the gates and it will open the kingdom up to you. Now, people to kind of talk about like uh, Ryan Coogler. How old was he when he did Black Panther? 27, 26, something around there. Yeah. It's, it's, or he's it's slightly under 30. Slightly under 30. Yes, yes. Yeah, or when he did, okay, I was thinking when he did his first, I was thinking Fruitvale. But when oh, he did Black yeah. Panther, yeah, he's probably he's, he's probably mid, mid to late 20s now. He even mentioned on the commentary, I think, how old mm-hmm. he was when he, when he did that. Yeah, I just totally forgot his age. Yeah. But I know that was like a big deal. Your age used to be a story, but um, the more podcasts I've been listening to, like uh, No Film School and things like that, people kind of discover like that's not really a story anymore. Mm. Unless it's just something just astronomical crazy. You win an Oscar and you're like 15 years old or something like that. Right. Uh, but it's still a feat within itself because you have to have some, feels like you have to be uh, like ahead of your time to do a, a, a movie well. You know, have to have some kind of, experience for you to be able to communicate with people for you to have some kind of life experience to give to hand over i think it's also a matter of of uh of study as yeah. well because mm-hmm. as we'll dive into this i mean he's he's a fan and i, I love some of the correlations and callbacks that he makes to yeah. other films but at the time when this came out he became the the youngest director yeah. to be nominated for an Academy Award, which I didn't realize that and and yeah. the first black director if i'm not mistaken the youngest director to be nominated for an Academy Award. Let that, that be known. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. In, in directing his first mm-hmm. first film. Yeah. Because he said he had done some small small things in college, but like no not, not a feature. And screenplay too, because he yeah. had screenplay, so hats off. That's things like, you know, more people should know about. You know, we we know of John Singleton, but we don't we don't really think about that, like how significant that is. Well, yeah, I think even like with uh, when we did Schultz, talked about Michael Schultz from mm-hmm. you know, The Last Dragon, all the things that he had done, but seldomly uh, yeah. is, 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 is his name dropped or, 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 or mentioned. Now, maybe deep within the annals of, of the circles of, of Hollywood, maybe mm-hmm. there's a, a reverence there, but from a mainstream consciousness, yeah, kind of forgotten. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let that let that be known. This time around, how did you watch this film? Did you have to purchase it? Did you watch it all the way through and then watch the commentary? How did you approach it? Yeah, so it, it had been years since I'd seen Boys in the Hood. I'm trying to remember whether I wa- watched I think I actually saw it in the theaters with 
uh, maybe with my with my family, with my parents, maybe. This time around, I went ahead, purchased it, and uh, got it on Blu-ray. And it was definitely a worthwhile purchase, worthwhile to, to revisit and take in the commentary. So I watched the movie all the way through because it had been so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these characters are layered. And when you see the cast, this is a cast that would would go on to major, major stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of careers launched out of Boys True. in the Hood. And you, you didn't realize at the time, but these were up-and-coming stars. Ice Cube's first, first featured mm-hmm. role. So anyway, I did that. And then after that, then I watched the... I watched the commentary, and well, I watched the special features first, mm-hmm. and then I watched the commentary. And I kind of, bro- kind of broke up my commentary viewing. I did half one day, and then I did the other half the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I re- really enjoyed it. How about you, man? This was in my collection, but I, I don't know what happened, so I had to go again. I, my goal was to find the Blu-ray, but uh, the location that I was looking for, they did not have it, and I didn't have time to order it, you know, online. Sure. So I went to. A movie trading company here in Dallas, and uh, found the two disc anniversary edition. Oh wow! I it's got saw gold and gleaming. I see it with your with your gold foiled yeah. edition of Boys in the Hood. I was like it looks nice, seven ninety nine. I was like, well, let me go ahead and get that. Yeah, that's, that's about, about how much I pay for my for my Blu ray. I did want like the Blu ray though. I did want the Blu ray. Was yours used or new? The Blu ray. Uh, it was used. It was used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blu-ray is the way to go. But I tried to go there first, but they didn't. So found this in the urban section. They, oh, they have. <laughs> well, it's the urban section. I'm trying to see if there's anything. It's like segregated, yeah. like straight up. It's, it's mm. funny. Well, when it was just in the just, just used Blu-rays, but uh, apparently, um, yeah, okay, yeah. And then the section for Blu-rays it says urban blue. Mm. <laughs> Urban is cold because, for black. Because black and blue would just sound weird. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's call it urban blue. Sounds like a 90s clothing store. Yeah, for <laughs> real. Yeah, so I had to kind of track this one down. But I actually enjoy going to the to the um, the local retailer to purchase. All yeah, right. Yeah, I like discovering new movies and things like that. So. Did you purchase anything else while you were on this outing? I was looking for a film called Scanner Darkly. This is a film that was requested from a, a listener uh, featuring Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder again. And um, I saw the version. They had a DVD version of Scanner Darkly. They had like three of them. But Scanner Darkly is one of those films you got to get it on Blu-ray. Mm. You got to go. You got to get it on Blu-ray. Who's it directed by? Uh, Rick Linklater. Richard Linklater. Am I saying his name? Linklater. Linklater. Is it Linklater? Linklater. From uh, Boyhood fame? Yeah. Okay, Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater. <laughs> Need a body bag. We've got a murdered name over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I seen that film a while ago, but um, definitely got to get this on Blu-ray. So, the only, they only had like one location that had it on Blu-ray. But they did have the DVD. So, I'm, like, I'm going to hold out on the DVD and get the Blu-ray. Next time. Okay. Well, then I'll have to... Seek out the the Blu-ray of of that. I've never I've never seen yes. the film before. Uh, I also when I scooped up my copy of Boys in the Hood, also scooped up Les Mis. As you know, I'm a fan of musicals, and I, I absolutely <laughs> love Les Mis, the uh, version with Hugh Jackman, and of course uh, also with I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, she played Catwoman and Anne Hathaway. There we go. She uh-huh. won an Academy Award for her performance was, in Les Mis. When you say Catwoman, Halle Berry. How do you forget that? Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that version of Les Mis, I love that. And then I also I picked up 
the Wolfman. Uh, with, ah. um, Mauricio del Toya on Blu-ray and Anthony Hopkins, and I didn't realize it, but Emily Blunt also is in the film. Uh, and it was right. shot by uh, Joe Johnson or Johnson or Johnston. Brian Johnson. Uh, Joe. No. He he directed the the first Captain America, uh, oh, Captain America: The okay. First Avenger. He also directed that. Um, Does Wolfman have commentary? He does not. Oh well, yeah. yeah I guess know. I won't eh. be picking that up. Eh. Well, yeah, I, I was I was disappointed. It had a lot it has a lot of extra features on it, but no commentary. Yeah. Which is like, huh? A boys in the hood. I um, what I did was I watched the movie. I'm, initially, what I was going to do was just play the commentary because for just for saving time's sake, I was like, I remember this movie. I'll just listen to the commentary. But I um, I'm glad I did not do that and just played it because there's a lot I missed. Right, <laughs> the, first, the whole first. I didn't realize how long that first um, words, the first act. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> of him as a kid, and I didn't realize how long that was. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I forgot how long it was. So I, I remember it being there once I saw. It, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like oh wow, this 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 mm-hmm. goes along, but it, it's important. It's very important, and it establishes you know the Trey character and why you know how he's acting, where he gets the attitude from, and you know how he can kind of fit into. You know his environment. You know the way he has to be. But yeah, and, and <laughs> wife hasn't seen the film, so <laughs> oh, she had never seen it before. So I was like, you oh, got to watch wow. this. Yeah, mm. <laughs> my mom wouldn't let us watch rated R movies. So there's a lot of movies she missed out on. So I was like, I got to reintroduce her. That's an introduction. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, just a straight introduction. This is an introduction. Hello, welcome to Boys and Hood. Yes, man. So, has, mm, I'm curious. Has she seen the other? kind of movies that spun and, and were able to be spawned from After Boys in the Hood, whether it's Menace to Society oh, no. or Juice. No. Okay. That'd be a big no. Alrighty. Boy, so what does she think? She loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cry. Tear Joker movie. Dear God. No doubt. I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> trying to hold the tears back. Yeah, I'm a man. Yeah. You know? Hey, you know, <laughs> Hey Cuba, he got no shame, man. Cuba, man, that, that dude, man, drop of a dime. That dude can bring can bring the waterworks. Yeah, and just man, crying different ways. Got the mm-hmm. <laughs> leaning, the tears leaning to the side. It's like man, he's, he's got the, the fear cry. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's got the so sick of this, sick of this, <laughs> sick of this, sick of this. You know, ra- rage, tears. Yeah, and uh, the you know my homeboy. Oh, okay. Before I, I jump into yeah, that, right. There will be spoilers, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. As always, there will be spoilers. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so Tear Jerkers do, like, my God. So, we watched the whole film, and then I just backdoored to just go right into the commentary. Mm -hmm. I just watched, you know, I was like, hey, let me go ahead and play this. I didn't mind watching it twice. Yeah. Did you 1.5 it or just, like, regular? Regular. Regular. (laughs) I'll take a commentary regular please give this commentary some respect <laughs> well since I watched the special features and that, that gave me something I'm like okay I can mm, 1.5 it yeah. and I find that most people when they're doing their commentaries even if they speak quick it's it's still enough where you can under, understand them and, and, True. and get it and True. I, I find it just, it just works it just works for me it really does work for me yeah so that's how I did it as, as a child this was one of the films that was in the collection it was one of those films where you're learning something from it, mm-hmm. and uh, Cuba, his, Trey's dad in this film just remind me of my dad so much. Even mm-hmm. my wife's like, he reminds me of your dad, just because like just everything about this guy just make you roll your eyes a little bit. Like, ah. 
<laughs> hit, hit a little close to home. Yeah. He used to cut my hair, you know, give you the chili bowls and I'll, you know, give you the bad haircut. My dad used to cut my hair too. Yeah. Give you the bad haircut, send you on your way. So yeah, it was one of the films that were in was in the collection and you know, I didn't watch it over and over again, but you know, like you revisit it every now and then. I again I hadn't I don't remember the last time I saw this film. I mean, maybe I'd catch a you know, clip of it on in, I don't know, somewhere on some channel, but I hadn't sat down and watched Boys in the Hood in a very, very long time mm-hmm. from just start to finish, at least a decade plus. So it was, yeah, it was nice to, to come back to it. And yeah, looking forward to diving in some more. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, it's a film you watch once a decade. <laughs> <laughs> Let me revisit that. But one of the things that, that surprised me, and I know we'll dive in deeper, but how it still feels very relevant today. Even more, even more so. It's yeah. Sad. There's some things that were mentioned, like when you mentioned the gentrification. I'm like, whoa! They were talking about gentrification back then. I thought mm-hmm. it was a fairly recent thing. I thought it was like a 2000 kind of thing. Right. But nah, man. Like they were spitting game. I'm like, wow. This is yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. timeless. You know, when we kind of talk about like just like the whole Chicago thing, and like you drop this right then and there, and the people are younger. Yeah. Know? That are dying, you know. They're, you know, not juniors and seniors and like junior high kids. I mean, you can go up to also. I mean, places like Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was at a high school there for my for my my full time job a couple years back, and the teacher asked me before I came to the school. She asked me if I had heard of their school before and said it had the their zip code had the highest murder rate in the country. What? And I said. Uh, no, I hadn't. Have you seen the documentary about us? I'm like, uh, n- no, <laughs> I, I haven't. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, Did you it's go? real. Yeah, I still went. Because. Hey, glass. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Going in with my eyes up, I, I come in peace. I come in right. peace. It was, it, was, it, was, it was one of the wildest classes I've ever been in. Are you in, my, in my life. Yeah, it really was. Like these, man, uh, kids were, I mean, like literally cursing themselves, cursing other kids out. Uh, I saw kids get taken out of class, which I've seen that happen before. But you know, I'm, I'm a professional, and I've you know talked with with this this demographic all the time as far mm-hmm. as you know high schoolers, and you know just getting them engaged, just getting them to to think, and if I can get them just for a moment to stop and think of more, then that's good. But I mean, there were literally kids having conversations with the teacher uh, about you know how how's it going, taking care of your family, as in like they the parents aren't in the scene, and they're taking care of their brother and sister, and you know they're they happy they were able to find a job so they could go home and 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 cook and prepare meals for their siblings uh like situations like that just, man yeah it was it was it was something else so um but yeah so you know i've, I've got i've got to go because if i don't go who will right yeah you who, who will let them know at least about the opportunities that are out there beyond where they're immediately at because for for some that may be the only way out mm-hmm. i mean like kind of like what we saw at the you know end of this film like True. it was a way out so but yeah facts so let's give a synopsis on this film Trey is sent to live with his father furious styles in tough south central Los Angeles although his hard nosed father instills proper values and respect in him and his devout girlfriend Brandy teaches him about faith Trey's friends Doughboy and Ricky don't have the same kind of support and are drawn into the neighborhood's booming drug and gang culture which increasingly tragic results boys in the hood yeah, it's always fascinating when you hear these synopses uh, when they're dealt out there is uh, wh- wh- where did yours come from 
Um, this one might have either been Wikipedia, and I read the synopsis of the one off IMDb, and I was like, bah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you really feel about that? <laughs> it's like, who wrote this? Because some you know, people are, you know, throwing their, are creating these synopsis, you know. True. If the studio didn't do it, or type it on IMDb, somebody else will do it. Okay. Yeah, that one was, it yeah. was acceptable. accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah acceptable. Not how I felt, but you know, you got to package it up. So, hey, it is what it is. That's true. So, before we dive further into Boys in the Hood, let's talk about movies watched. All right. So, what movies did you watch this past week? Uh, so, I had a chance to, to finally go out and see for myself Crazy Rich Asians, directed by director John M. Chu. Um, of course, it's been crushing at the box office you know, for at least two weeks in a row. It was number one, and it is a it is a romantic comedy, and obviously it's a predominantly all Asian cast, which is great. And it's it is fun, it is lovely, it is charming, and I really enjoyed it. I really did. I walked away. and I was like, man. And, it, at, and at the end, because I, I was sitting next to two two uh, two ladies, and you know they had their Kleenex at the end. I gave one of the ladies one of my napkins because they were, you know, had a little waterworks going. It was very, it was very touching. Again, romantic comedy. It's, it's got the, the things that you would expect to see. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. But it is, but it's, it's funny. It's charming. The, the all the characters uh, are, are 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 wonderful, and uh, I, I definitely would go and see a sequel of this. And I don't, I don't do too many romantic comedies. I don't have. I'm not against them, but it's not my first choice when I think of what I want to go and see. But mm-hmm. um, with the success of Black Panther and all kinds of people came to that because, regardless of the, of the, of the setting and all that, it was still a, it's still a human story behind it. Crazy Rich Asians is similar in that vein. It's still a very human story. The mm-hmm. characters just happen to be Asian, and they just happens to be in another country for a good chunk of the film. But it is a very human story about two people falling in love, and you know, one comes from a place with money and. One, not so much. Right. But it does get into some specific cultural things uh, within the Asian community that I'm sure even other communities can, can relate to. But yeah, I dug it, man. Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> well, as, a, as a person of color, we're kind of forced to digest everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a big deal. <laughs> but it seems like for when something is a um, like culturally um, specific film, it's like, oh, it's not for me. So I'm not going to go watch it. You know, it seems like maybe some people feel that way. Oh, that's a black movie. I'm not going to go watch it. Or that's just for them, just for Asians. So I'm not going to go watch it. That's a real fascinating point. Because when I even think of from, say, Asian to black, as far as like culture wise, you know, on when we think about groups like, say, like the Wu-Tang Clan, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly, you know, they saw a lot of. You know, Asian films. You know, growing up, you know, with the For with sure. the, the kung fu movies in 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 the the, the I guess the seventies, you know, sixties mm-hmm. and seventies, um, and Bruce Lee films and things of that nature. But then, you know, I look at uh, you know like the Korean B boys uh, and the clear influence of that. And let me tell you, within the film, there is a lot of black music influence from from jazz <laughs> to to hip hop to um, it's, and a lot of covers of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, that were originally done by black artists, now being done by Asian artists, which is cool. But it's, it's that's, that 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 play between the two cultures is very fascinating. To, to I just noted that in the in the film, and so that was the movie that I saw from a, a TV standpoint. Uh, I've I've recently started watching Snowfall on FX mm-hmm. uh, about the introduction of, of of cocaine and and crack into the into the Los Angeles area, 
in the 80s. Yeah, finished the first season of that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the second season. Wow. Very, very well done. Nice range of, of characters. It's it, it reminds me a little bit of, of, of Breaking Bad and Narcos. Uh, and you can, after watching Boys in the Hood again and hearing about John, Singlet- John Singleton's upbringing, you can see some elements of that kind of rolled rolled into the the show as well and okay. and, and the main character mm-hmm. um but yeah snowfall man that's it's no holds barred it's, it's amazing what they can do on, on cable television these days even from just a, a censorship <laughs> it's amazing standpoint. what they're getting away with oh seriously it really is uh, i was like where do y'all this show contains violence nudity, extreme death you know it's extreme just, death extreme death <laughs> But yeah, it's so it's yeah, very interesting. But good show, Snowfall. 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 Directed by John. Directed and produced. Or? Uh, he directs a couple of episodes. He he directed he directed he directed the season finale, but he's an executive producer on the show. Wow. So I'm sure he's he's got notes and inputs because again he's talking about you know, where where he came from and what he grew up in. I mean he he yeah. grew up in this time and era. Mm-hmm. How about you? What did you see, Reginald? What did I watch? Um, didn't get a chance to watch any films. Well, any feature film. But I did watch this uh, little short doc called What the Last Block Buzzer. <laughs> 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 what the Last Blockbuster has that Netflix doesn't. Mm. So in Ben, Oregon, there is well, the last blockbuster. I, I think we talked about this before. About like what location it was at. It's in Bend, Oregon. It is the last blockbuster. Not the last dragon. The, <laughs> the last, last blockbuster. blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. I think I put the title in. It's not called the last blockbuster. I was like, this just sounds more epic. It does. <laughs> the last blockbuster. It's about like a ten minute, like a little ten minute, um, kind of like a news story. You know, uh, kind of like how Vice does their stories. Um, it's by The Verge, so if you just go to YouTube, type in, you know, like last blockbuster, this will pop up. But, you know, just kind of going in and kind of seeing, like, why in this particular city there's still a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that um, the owner of this store, he, the, he had a, mo- a movie company there, but Blockbuster was coming in and kind of, like, kind of gave him a deal, couldn't refuse. He was like, either accept this offer or, you know, we're going to build two blockbusters around it anyway. Right. <laughs> so You can't beat us. So join us, and that's what he did. So and that's why it's still, you know, a blockbuster there. But in that in the, in that city, it's also very eclectic. It's artsy. You got the ben, the Ben Film Festival, so they really support the arts, and um, it, it's just a place that it makes sense to have there. You know, one thing one of the things that I find, and you know, we we sit in, in doing this in doing this this podcast, mm-hmm. is that still the the lore of going into a physical location. Something nice about being able to go kind of up and down the aisles and kind of just yeah. to be able to discover it. And don't get me wrong, I I enjoy searching for things online and making those transactions uh, as well. That could be super easy, and with something like Amazon Prime, you can have something within a day or two. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something about just just going it's in. Not the same. It's perusing. a different experience. Like, it is when you're looking for something to watch online. It's like I want to watch something. <laughs> like I'm not here to search, right? <laughs> like it feels like you're actually shopping. You know, and you can take mm-hmm. your time when you're at the store and you're flipping things and something might catch your eye. And you're like, man, what is this? And it's a nice feeling. Yeah. It's a nice feeling to be 
surprised because when you when you're searching for things, you're going through like different categories, and it's a different it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's also you might run into somebody and might have a conversation, and you just never know. It's it, 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 it's it's partially communal. And it's nice to see other people out because when I go to to Movie Trading Co, mm-hmm. there are always people in there. Yep. Now they're trying to stay afloat, and they've got they're, they're really getting the pop culture stuff, and and they got comic books in one section, and they got toys, and they got video games. So it's a it's a one stop shop kind of place. And they mm-hmm. got posters. It but really, you're right. There's always people. Yeah, there's always people in there. Always, and you can buy, or you can, if it's a DVD, you can rent it for a couple of days. So they give you some nice, some nice options, and um, and you know you can find new and used. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoy the experience. Then, 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 like, there's a section where it's curated, where they have <laughs> staff picks or whatever. So uh, I was like, what are all? Who's picking these? Because again, I'm in, I'm in the movie trading company that there's an urban section in. So you know what city I'm in. Because I know in other movie trading company, you know, in their other uh, cities, they don't have that those section. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see the one I went to. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't see the urban section. Next time I go, I'm going to ask: Is there an urban section? Where's the urban section? Your Dallas location has it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Start segregating these movies. <laughs> that, but, that's fascinating, though. I, I, I'd almost be curious to to ask. It's actually awesome, ask, though. To ask management, I'm like. So what was the decision behind specifically having that? With, we in the black neighborhood. Oh, okay. That'll <laughs> and, suffice. And that's basically what it is because um, the customer base, they're there. They're going there for a... Sp- like, for example, when I asked the lady about Boys in the Hood, she was saying, like, black classic films go quickly. Because mm. I was looking for the Blu-ray. She's like, yeah, the classic films, they, they're gone. Wow. I mean, I almost thought I wouldn't be able to find the Blu-ray at my movie trading co and it just so happens like they it was the only one there that i saw when they mm-hmm. somebody i had to have somebody help me find it and it wasn't an urban section it was just it was just hit amongst everything else kind of like there and uh, they helped me find it i was like oh thank goodness but man yeah and, and i was shocked i figured i was like it's been out for a long time but so yeah so they have like this little curated section so they got stuff on there like tusk and all these other films like who's first i asked the guy who's picking this who's picking these films because it's totally different mm-hmm <laughs> I don't see anybody here going to go buy these, some of these films that y'all have picked out. Um, but it's awesome to have, you know, someone curating and kind of giving suggestions and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I find that like they still, there's still a personality in the store. I agree. I've, uh, I've, I've had very good experiences with movie trading co, especially in trying to find something. They're happy to look and check out the locations. Cause we've, we've been on hunts before trying to find yeah. some of these films that we've covered before. Like, uh, where's well, okay, which location? Oh, Allen. Uh, <laughs> well, um, is there commentary on that? Can you double check that for real? <laughs> and, and the cool, it's funny because like film fans work at these places. Mm-hmm. So the guy's like, "Oh, sure, let, let's let's find out." Remember the panic room situation? Yeah, I was in the Arlington location for that. He said, "Well, the difference between this DVD and that DVD and the Blu-ray is, but this DVD is cheaper, higher bit rate, but there's no commentary." I was like, "What's the point? What are you doing?" <laughs> I had a similar situation when I was trying to find that uh, a Doctor Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, mm-hmm. the old nineteen thirty some version, which was so tough to find, and and literally they they directed me to. Duncanville location uh, and they but they they looked and they couldn't find it multiple times and they, they searched a different way and finally it popped up <laughs> I was like yeah are, that's a win it feels so good is that what locate what street is that one the Duncanville location either Camp Wisdom yeah yeah okay I didn't know that was, that was considered Duncanville mm-hmm what yes sir because behind is the Red Brick Mall yeah Duncanville oh well there you go 
geography because the church is like you can see the church from right there but their address is a Dallas location is a Dallas address mm. hmm um zoning <laughs> message <laughs> okay so speaking speaking of that I have to I have to mention so after watching Boys in the Hood uh I recently like with my uh, cable deal with doing the whole spectrum choice which is perfect yeah it's perfect okay like what you like what you want like 21 bucks like all my local channels I get 10 channels that I choose from a list of, of channels that the channels that I, I know I'm gonna watch right and I was able to add on some premiums so I got stars stars encore so don't be a menace in the hood while drinking your juice was on stars Central. yeah I started I started watching it uh, <laughs> yesterday or the day before <laughs> oh man I'm about I'm about, I'm about, about a, uh, maybe a quarter of the way in and man, it is spoofing on Boys in the Hood. I knew it. I remember it did. Yeah. it's been a long time. But I mean, I mean, just like dot 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 dot, <laughs> like scene for scene, man. Yeah. And I even, I even think one of the actresses, uh, the one when when Trey is telling the story about you know losing his his virginity, I think it's actually famous the, Fox. <laughs> I think it's the same. I think it's the same. Yeah, she actress. was in it. She had the IMDb credit. Mm. I was like. She's still around too. It's that's wild. <laughs> she's got like blonde hair now. Really? So she's famous. Is that like what she goes by now? Yeah, famous Fox. Anyway, but yeah, that's it's really funny to to see, especially after just watching <laughs> right. Boys in the Hood. I mean, it's the beats are just that's wild. It is, it's very very wild. <laughs> Do we have yeah. a problem? Hmm? Then John Singleton making his cameo. Oh, he, I was, the, I mean, I mean, he was the mailman. Oh, in the yes, in this. In, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, not, not in, yeah, not in that movie. Yeah, in this one, he said, "Yeah, my, my Hitchcock, <laughs> Hitchcock style." I'm like, I see you, John. I would have never caught that one. No, I didn't. I didn't catch it either. And then he said that. I was like, huh. So that makes it even funnier that then Keenan, mm-hmm. um, when he first is a, when Keenan Ivory wins, when he first appears in "Don't Be a Menace," mm-hmm. he's a mailman. Yeah, and it's the first time it says "message." I'm like, ha. <laughs> This is deep, man. Did he direct that one, Keenan? I don't know. Don't, don't know be a menace. What is it? Don't be a menace in South Central while you drink, drink your, your juice, juice in, in the hood. hood. Nonetheless, I'm sorry, but where we are, yes, we are tangent. tangenting. That's where we are. <laughs> Movies watched. Well, the last blockbuster brought us around to all that. Paris Barclay? Yeah. Don't know. Yeah, Paris Barclay. Okay. Directed. So, so yeah, so watch that. It's like a 10-minute you know, short kind of like news clip thing. Uh, Mini Doc, the last blockbuster, and uh, yeah, you maybe want to go out and go go check out a retail section. And when you go to these these movie stores, it's um you f- you do find stuff that you're just like I would, I don't know where on earth where I would go to find this stuff because even like like the big retails like Walmart, Best Buy, and stuff. A lot of times it's just what's popular. Mm-hmm. At the time, and if it's not popular, it's going to be like in their little clearance bin, and that's it. But it's definitely Walmart and these places are not definitely they're not curating anything. They're just there just to give you what's hot. That's it. That's true. That is true. That that person that personal touch that boutique kind of style a, a level of of, of service mm-hmm. is what you can definitely find. So yeah, and, and that's and that's basically what they're saying is the whole message of that mini doc is that's the importance of having these retailers is because they have they they are curating and they'll they'll have actually more titles 
than like a Netflix because Netflix has more, you know, they're kind of getting away from that and doing more of the original stuff. That's true. That's true. If, if, you, if you're going with the just the streaming aspect of it, uh, if you still have, you know, the Netflix with the, the Blu-ray and DVD nah, uh, service option, which I, I did for, for quite a while. And man, I watched I watched a lot of movies <laughs> through through that. I was mm-hmm. able to find stuff, especially like foreign films and all kinds of stuff through through that service. That's uh, that's not a bad option if you're looking for some other things, too. Heck, yeah. Uh, TV watched um, on the OWN Network. There's this series called Greenleaf, and it's kind of talking about, like, the church and kind of like the hypocrisy with the church and kind of what goes on. It's not, you know, a documentary or anything like that. It's just a bunch of characters and some drama, some drama. I just saw that on the, on demand. I added the OWN Network as mm-hmm. one of my channels and I was I was going through their own demand to see just what they had and I, mm-hmm. I saw that there and I was like hmm it looked, it looked interesting it will suck you in oh oh <laughs> yeah it's real it, the first season starts out very real it's they're on what like season three now yeah season three so yeah so some enjoyable stuff a lot of drama though that is it for movies watch let's jump right back into the boys in the hood all right so the actual commentary he mentioned like it was Man, it's like a more of a retrospective, you know, commentary. He does an intro. Good etiquette. There yes, you go. yes. Uh, and this was recorded in 1999. Of course, the movie came out in 1991, 1999. And um, he's he's given us some, some background on the history of, you know, his development as a director from when he did this film to where he is now. But at, now at that time was 1999. And kind of talking about, like, you know, he would change. He's developed, so he would change certain things in the, you know, would probably tweak some things. But I think everybody, try, you know, wish they can kind of go back and change their first film. And he, like you said, he, he grew a lot during the development of this of this film. Uh, he makes mention of that multiple times. And, again, all things considered, he, he made a heck of a movie. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that this film only had one producer, which is very rare mm-hmm. in Hollywood, um, yeah, just just one producer. So. Is that Stephanie? Uh, that was Steve uh, Nicolaitis. Oh, okay, okay. And then um, I'm not sure what they uh, Stephanie uh, St- uh, Elaine. Uh, yeah, because she was a she was a studio exec. She had just been promoted like to a studio exec, mm-hmm. and she's when they really kind of got John into the door. Yeah, um, she's and, she's definitely a pillar because I remember. On Hustle and Flow, she was a producer on that one. Oh. And, of course, John Singleton was the executive producer over that film. And it was a white director writing about black people. And it was funny kind of getting the reverse kind of racism in, in Hollywood where he's a white guy writing this black story. And they were like, well, we would do it, but can we get, like, a black director or something? Because they, mm. they, they didn't want to do that. So, anyhow, John Singleton and them, they had to raise their own money for that film. And then I think they sold the MTV Films. Oh wow! But yeah, this whole story with that. But um, and also, she encouraged Justin Simeon on Dear White People to get that completed. I don't know if she was a producer on it, but she definitely was in the mix. I'd like to meet her. Yes, I would like to see her. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to see her. (laughs) Definitely on the list. Definitely for sure. So yeah, this commentary overall, A plus. This is a really good. If you're a fan of of commentaries, this is a really good commentary. Good etiquette. It's in depth. It's technical, as well as personal, mm-hmm. and it's done with a nice amount of 
of hindsight. He's far enough removed, um, not 20 years removed, but literally about eight to nine years mm-hmm. um, removed. And at the time, he was uh, four films into his career. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very, very enjoyable commentary. It was surprising, and it might go with the fact that he was a writer-director, and we talked about that too. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a writer-director, how much can you remember, pull back? Um, you know, he's remembering ADR sessions, you know, from the film. Like, whoa, you know, you're working on your, like, your <laughs> your fourth film. How are you pulling this from the first film? But that's, it kind of goes to show you, you know, he was he was on top of his stuff, man. He knew his stuff. He knows his stuff. Yeah, I was really impressed with his his knowledge and how he worked it in and talked about the sound design and mm-hmm. just being so intentional about that. Yeah, he, he points out some nice fine details mm-hmm. within the filmmaking and his inf- you know people that influenced him. Indeed. So let's go into some tips. One of John Singleton, I think I've heard him say, is like one of his mantras is, the cheapest way to make a film is the right one. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And he started working on this script uh, while he was at USC. Mm-hmm. What that translates to me, the first time I heard him say that, I think it was like on a Charlie Rose show or something like that. And basically, you can do whatever you want. You know, paper is relatively cheap. <laughs> you can get it printed out. And you can do whatever you want to do on that on that paper. It's once you start producing it, that's when it starts getting expensive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the cheapest way to make a film is not wait for a script or wait for somebody to give you something. You know, you you make your film. You create a product by writing it. That's true. It's, I mean, it, there are so many scripts now in, in, in the Hollywood system that are um, in development or or on hold or, or being tweaked, but they're but they're out there. Somebody took the the time to to submit it as, and that is a product. That is the first step. If it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. There you go. If you can't you know can't read it, then you can't see it. Nope. Uh, another tip that he kind of talked about was that when uh, of course, he was what twenty two when he did this. That he thinks that being naive and not really knowing too much served him well in the film. You know, he was. <laughs> well prepared he was early you know had his shot list you know he was. He, he was just on on point and that's because he didn't know really what to expect I think as you get more experience you, you're aware of like some of the risk there's a scene where I see uh, when Ice Cube is pulling off when the gunshots are going off almost ran over a guy's dude, leg dude did yeah, you see you that? Saw that I did oh. I saw that I was like wait, wait a minute that guy almost lost a leg Oh, trying to scramble out of the way in the street because that dude, was a one shot take. I think he was overacting too, man, because he like fell three times. Was that uh, Morris Chestnut that was running? Was that Morris Chestnut running? It was another guy who was behind him. Uh-huh. I think that I, that 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 was the one that almost got, almost lost the leg when 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 Ice Cube was pulling oh, out. It was oh, real close. Oh I was like, huh. man, I think an Angel came down and like <laughs> blocked that for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was scary. That, that could have been. Yeah, it could have been bad. That would have been nasty. Um, another tip is, um, depending on where you're shooting, you can get non-actors who are part of the environment that you're shooting in to be part of your movie and give good performances. I mentioned uh, Hustle and Flow before, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, a lot of that where that was taking place, and they brought in a lot of locals Mm-hmm. You know, from that area because the people that look like how they look, I mean, they're, you know, got the gold teeth, got the perms and all that stuff. I mean, where else are you going to find that? You can't cast for that. It adds the authenticity. Yeah. And we saw the same thing in uh, Spring Breakers as well, mm-hmm. you know, being in the Daytona area or the St. Saint, Saint Paul or uh, not St. Paul, whatever area Spring Breakers was at in, in, in right. Florida. Yes. They, they, they use some local people to, yeah. just to bring that flavor. Uh, I want to do the rap. I forgot the lyrics. 
<laughs> alien, alien. Yeah, I forgot it. No, hanging with them dope boys. Look at all my stuff. <laughs> Dang! Look at all my stuff. <laughs> Look at all this. Ask your actor. Another tip is if you know, ask your ask your actor who they would like to work with. You know, we saw that in Dracula. What when I why I know no writer. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you have some rapport with him. John Singleton, you know, ask Lawrence, you know, who who would you like to work with? He mentions Angela Bassett and Tyra Farrell. Yes. Who originally was going out for the role of Trey's mother. And once uh, they got Angela, they decided to put her. And, and Tyra was kind of pissed about that. Oh, really? Yeah. So maybe that added, added some extra fuel to her performance because she goes from zero to 100 Real quick, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I, I missed. I didn't hear that part. Yeah, that may have been the, some behind behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if you had a chance to watch any any mm-hmm. of that, but yeah, maybe that. I think that was on there is when he when he talked about I didn't that. Know but that. Yeah, but she was not. She wasn't happy about that originally, but she came. She came around. She did perfect, man. From Houston, Texas. Really, H yeah. Town, Texas, in the house. Yeah, it had that southern feels. He feels like somebody's ain't he? Like you know, you know who this woman is. Oh, man, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. You just know that 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 woman that you know just you know be nice in, in one moment, but then just that quick and flip the script, and then you see that when the recruiter shows up, mm-hmm. the way she plays that, it's <laughs> beautiful. You know, you know, she's like, oh hey, well you know, welcome there, and she turns it. You know, she snaps. <laughs> she's snapping the finger like, get out of here. Another tip, which as filmmakers, producers, you should already be doing, and this is also the point of this podcast, watch a lot of films. Now, yes. uh, John Singleton, you know, before this, he only shot like a couple of short films or whatever in film school. And mm-hmm. a lot of film people, a lot of film school people will tell you this, that, you know, they don't really get a chance to, it may be different now, but they don't really get a chance to get their hands on and get to shoot a whole lot. You know, I'm, I think it's different now. Uh, I think with, it with is. With digital and everything. But, you know, shooting on back then, you know, shooting on film. And they, I know some people like, we didn't get to touch a camera till the following year or the mm. following semester or whatever. Um, so he didn't really just have a whole bunch of uh, films that kind of worked out. But one thing he could do was watch films. Watch films, study directors, and kind of figure out, you know, how they're doing their shots. And he, he mentions the Spielberg tracking shots. And that's something that Spielberg is known for is his long takes and how he's able to block a lot of people in a one-shot situation while it's tracking. So the film, like the the screen is tracking along the actors, and the actors are kind of hitting their marks along. Like, it's real difficult to do, and Spielberg's kind of mastered that. Right, and he also works the, uh, the hinge shot he mm-hmm. talks about, where you start from one direction, and then you you almost intercut with something else, and then... Like they're going like another direction or something to that effect, but there's there's various kinds of, of techniques that he talks about mm-hmm. using. So if you're if you're interested in learning more about different angles, different kinds of shots, John does a really good job of of breaking that down and giving mm-hmm. giving credit to again from Spielberg to Hitchcock to even our man who did who did Dracula, uh, Coppola, mm-hmm. you know Francis Ford Coppola. He's, sure. he's just constantly giving homages and even talking about influences of the past, like westerns, and and, and really talks yeah, about this yeah. film. You know, there are moments it's like it's like a western, right? And I was like, you're totally right. <laughs> you are totally right. And it's it's fascinating when people can sometimes talk and say, oh, you know, it's all this gang violence. Oh, but it, what, it's okay if it's John Wayne, mm-hmm. you know, or, or if it's Clint Eastwood, 
because those were gangs. Yeah. Gang violence and extreme, you know, people getting shot up. It's not any different. They were in towns. They, these people are in neighborhoods. Yeah. Same thing. To an example of the hinge shot, I had to think about it, is the shot when Cuba Gooden, he's got the plate barbecue, walking back home from the party. He's walking kind of towards us, um, left of the frame and the camera, and then he stops and he looks off to the left. The camera's still on him, mm-hmm. but it slowly rotates to the left. And you see the little, and you see yeah, the little, little, girl. The little mm-hmm. baby in the street, and you mm-hmm. see a car approaching, and it's all in the same shot. So that's a hinge shot. That was my first time learning about this shot on here. So like, learn something, learn something. Mm. Message. But to do that, God only knows how many takes you. Because in order for that to work, you you see Cuba coming. You see his facial reaction. Like, what is he reacting to? Mm-hmm. And then the camera shows what he's reacting to. And then now the car and the baby have to react. You know, how, the right however time. they're doing their thing. Like, I wonder how many takes it took to get that right. That's a good question. That's a really good question. <laughs> Me, I would have cut. <laughs> just, just cut. Just cut. Just cut. It, it, it's um, it's very, yeah, very interesting that he would, again, incorporate some of these things that he said he actually practiced some of these things when mm-hmm. he was shooting with uh, uh like a handheld or whatever yeah, in, the eight in film school. Yeah, he was yeah. he was he was testing out some of these some of these theories. So mm-hmm. even if your technology isn't great, you can you can practice some of these different shots with sure. you know with your phone. Yeah. Uh, just just to kind of get the feel of the technique down. And nowadays with our phones you could still make technology is awesome. way better now. Yeah. There's no comparison. No comparison. <laughs> it really is. There's no excuse. How about mm-hmm. that? But I mean, technique, right? Mm-hmm. If technology changes but and techniques can develop, mm-hmm. but there are still so many classical techniques that can be True. used and incorporated to, to great effect. The one thing I did notice about this film that he's not using like a bunch of trickery in mm-hmm. his shots is a lot of times it's just a master shot. And he even says, you know, just tell the story. Yes. Shoot the story. Shoot the story. You're just having, who was he talking to? Uh, it was Cuba and uh, Nina Long and they're arguing and he could have very easily just switched shoulders and cut away he just kept it going just kept them flowing while he's doing like the montage uh scene and uh even with that hinge shot like soon as kuba comes up that's basically that transition is the cut Mm because if somebody else did you could just cut there rotate it it's the same thing the only thing that doesn't happen is you see the rotation Mm -hmm. so but willing to do that you know having energy like you know let's try Kind of moving along. Oh, but before moving along, he talks about how we tend to view things like kind of with a television language. Did he mention that? Yes, yes, yes. That was that was really good. You have to instead use like a, a cinematic language, and that's what he wanted to get across um, in his film. Even though he, you know, just doing master, a lot of times just doing master shots, mm-hmm. over the shoulder shots, um, and getting the story, and just letting his actors do his thing. Directing kids is tough. <laughs> yes, yes, and he he mentioned that you know with some of the boys uh, that were that were on set that you know sometimes they'd get along, other times that they 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 wouldn't, and the tension spans were short, and you have to work with them for limited amounts of time because some have to <clears throat> excuse me have to go to school or go to to lessons, whatever that looks like. So you have to be you have to be ready. Yeah, uh, but he also said you know he said kids and animals. He was like, whoo, <laughs> you could tell even now <laughs> it, that was still. Something that uh, he kind of graded him a little bit because he was, <laughs> he had, uh, yeah, he recognized it was a challenge. And he was mentioning how uh, the lead, the guy that was playing Trey, the younger kid that was playing the younger Trey, how he kind of had like a little ego, you know, because he'd been in a lot of stuff before. Mm. So he kind of had that swag like, yeah, I'd done this before. <laughs> 
okay. Just make sure you hit your lines and your marks. Okay. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so. And then he said, he, he, I think he also said that, because um, he was like, you know, he likes you know, video games. I think he had a Game Gear at, at the time. Yeah, he was, Sega he was, Lynx system. Yeah, oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that one. Yeah. The Lynx, man. I remember the Game Gear. Yeah. The Lynx was Atari. Atari Lynx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Atari's handheld. Uh but he was like having to like balance and keep them like I mean they were maybe away from his games or something like that. I mean, I'm saying oh, that's funny. To... Where's my game gear? Where's my game gear? <laughs> my pocket mother. Oh, you think you grown now? He's method. <laughs> I like a tip. Uh, one of the tips he had is like when the characters are coming into the scene, the characters are moving the camera. Yeah, have, you know the camera is a master shot, but when a character kind of enters the frame. You know, we kind of follow them. And one of the shots he used was the buddy, the booty that jumps into the frame at the barbecue. Lady in black shorts, big booty, jump to the frame. We start following the booty, then we cut left, and then we reveal a doughboy. Mm-hmm. So he's like, find a way to grab your attention, move the camera, and it's like, okay, this is the big introduction of doughboy. It's fascinating how, how we can use and, and describe that that particular shot. Um and even when he talked about that scene, particularly mm-hmm. in where they're doing the, the whole house party and the welcoming back of, of, of Doughboy, how I said it was kind of hard to to focus. You know, even when you hear from some of the other actors and some of the behind the scenes stuff, like they were, they were, they they shot that scene. Originally, it was only supposed to like take like two days to shoot, but it mm-hmm. took like four days. So people are there, they're partying, they're eating, and just they were having a good time. The actors were definitely they were they were having a good time with that, and <laughs> and, and John was having a Trying to stay focused. I can only imagine, though. You know, single, 22. Yeah. What? Fresh. fresh. I got $6 million. I'm the director. You know? Like, hey. I'm I'm the director, you know. You know, hey, you know, I run out of this. Yeah, you got to be careful. What movie was that? It was like, yeah, I run out of this. Five Heartbeats. That was a five. Oh, Choir Boy. Choir Boy. I wrote wrote all the songs. I put the music together, everything, you know. I I put it all together. (laughs) Anthony Stone. You can call me Rock. <laughs> oh man! Look at the Oh my god! I didn't realize who you were. Oh my god! <laughs> but you know, kudos to to John for handling with that kind of maturity because that would I mean that would be pretty tough because now you're also you're coming back home, right? I mean, he's he's always stayed in, in the area, but coming mm-hmm. back to the neighborhood and you're a big time director and you've all this but saying oh no I gotta I gotta I gotta focus and take care of business and to not mm-hmm. get caught up yeah because we see the fruits of labor of a lot of people who have gotten caught up in, in in Hollywood so have actors that are just as committed to their craft as you are and he talks about how Cuba Gooding and I guess everybody was around close to the same age around this time mm-hmm. so how he was talking about how Cuba was like he's goofy and stuff off camera but he was real serious about his character his role his career and all that stuff and uh, when you have people like that around you, you know, it makes you feel good and makes you step your game up as well. Because, like, they're being serious because, you know, I've been in stuff where it's like, man, some of these people will just focus as much as I would focus on my stuff. Cause I, I look at my stuff every day, you know, right, as far right. as looking up techniques, you know, practicing and or just thinking about the business in general. You know, like how how better off would they be, you know, mm-hmm. if, you fo- if you're serious, you know, serious about that. So it's it was cool, too. And it comes off, you know, when. <laughs> again, the man can bring the waterworks drop of a dime. Now, again, not to say we see the finished product. You know, it, who knows? It may take him a couple of takes to get there. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. But just he, he seems like he's emotionally accessible. But he got there. He did. He, he got, got there. there. 
and, and just, I mean, from fear to elation to even when he's lying to his dad, again, telling that, telling that story. And he, you know, because it changes up. You, you can tell that it's out of character. Yeah. You know, now that I'm, I'm older, I'm, also, I'm like, oh, he's totally lying. You know? <laughs> I didn't know. When I saw it, when I first saw it, I didn't know it was a lie. Mm-hmm. But now you look at it, you're like, even how, he, how he's fantasizing and imagining himself, even how he's dressed. I'm like, you don't even dress like that normally. <laughs> this, is, this is a fantasy in your mind. And it's fascinating how well done that was, though, just to dive into that. Again, this is, this is such a human story. Like, you, you literally <laughs> you have, this, you have this, this young man having to lie to his dad. About, it was elaborated, too. The lie was, like, detailed. Yeah. And I like the voiceover. He's got the voiceover, but the characters are mouthing the words he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was smart. Kudos to to John for having written that, you know, written it that way and had that kind of foresight. Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna have a flashback within within the film. Gangster. Yeah, uh, it's. It was funny how like the guys are like, while well, she the ladies coming around the car, like all the guys like falling out like they're seeing like yeah. some super. Ah! It's like over exasperated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just this heightened sense of of reality. <laughs> you know how to drive stink. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, but Cooper, cool. I mean, his his range of emotions, yeah, uh, his dedication, but also the whole cast being able to come to to Lawrence Fishburne, who mm-hmm. served as a mentor and, and, and a father figure to yeah. these other actors, and, and something that that Fishburne said in, in in both of the behind the scenes things that he didn't realize that he would become to a, to a, to like almost a whole generation a father figure to so many. Because of the role he played in this film, real talk. Yeah, he talks about after one of the screenings, a young man came up to him and was so moved by the film that he literally could not express the words of of what he felt from the movie as a whole and, and Lawrence Fishburne's performance at, mm-hmm. as, as a father. And, and actually, it was a pretty powerful thing. Even looking back now, it makes me smile. It makes me think of my my dad, and yeah. it makes me grateful when you see. Just how much he's trying to to guide his son, to steer his son, and what he tries to instill early on, and even how he foreshadows that. Look, well, I'm going to teach you these things, mm-hmm. and they're going to be of value. But your other friends, you will we'll see how that. Yeah, you're going to see how they turn out, and right. it's 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 prophetic, and mm-hmm. it's and it's and it's true. And while there are no guarantees, uh, it, it it was just wonderful to see. A father literally fighting for his son to set those foundations. Man, seeing the like change because my dad was like, in a way, like he would bring in like other you know kids in the neighborhood, like hey, you coming, you know, hang out with us or whatever, because he knows like what I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. he knows like there might be some problems at home and stuff like that. So we had like some guys who would come over and just kind of hang out and stuff like that. But it was funny in the scene where he was trying to give the kids like, hey, if you <laughs> if you rake up the leaves, I give you five dollars. And then the kid's like, that ain't. Right. <laughs> you can see Lauren's like, Fishburne, like, kind of laugh a little bit. Because, like, it was perfect the way that kid delivered it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get more money than that doing nothing. Right. Man, your daddy mean. Yeah. Oh, Raked man. up every last leaf. Man, that kid was working. When I saw, the, you know, the the dissolve shots. I was like, this poor kid, man. He's, he's working. I don't I would have. Oh, man. My dad used to, have me, used to have me do you know lawn work. I hated it, hated it, hate cutting grass to this day. <laughs> yeah, but raking leaves like that, ah oh, man, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like how he's talking to his son, it reminds me now how I talk to my son. I'm like pick that up, pick that up. 
I don't want to see no trash mm-hmm. anywhere. It's weird. Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> but it, the relationship though, it feels just. It feels it feels real. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. It feels real, and there's that kind of real talk that a father can have with his son, and being able to go into areas about what it means to be a man, mm-hmm. uh, and in in. in Exploring those themes and the fact that he was former military, you know, mm-hmm. again, my my, you know, my pops was former military, and yeah, I, I could, you know, you said you could see your dad within him. I could see my dad within, yeah. within him also. And then that's cool. You don't see that often. You no, know? you, you don't. don't see your dad on screen. Mm, you know, no. this is one of the films where I actually see him. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's why I think it's very. This film is was important to a lot of African American males. Totally agree, man. Oh yeah, just like uh, I think we talk about this in another film, how like people hiring. Like it's like kind of like a politically correct thing, but like if someone is autistic, hiring that person that's autistic, or if someone has Down syndrome, hiring someone that actually has Down syndrome. But I don't think in this in this film, like he was purposely trying to do that. But the guy that was in the wheelchair, you know, he was really you know paralyzed in real life. So Chris, he's like, Chris, so how are you gonna hire somebody playing like in the wheelchair? I already, I'm already in the wheelchair. <laughs> so hmm. you know, hiring that, you know, he you know basically was like, hey man, you know, he sold himself on it, right? And even. Uh, and some of the actors he hired again, the the leading cast were mm-hmm. you know were legit. But he took a couple of risks, right? One with with Ice Cube. Yeah, this is Ice Cube's first acting role, mm-hmm. and it's 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 so easy to assume because Ice Cube is a rapper and in NWA, and because he he grew up in the area that he's just being himself. Now. While there may while there may be familiar tropes, while he may be familiar with the situation, I'll put it this way: just because somebody's a boxer doesn't mean you can put them in a boxing movie and they're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Just because Ice Cube is a rapper and grew up in an urban element doesn't mean he's going to be a good actor. But he does a hell of a job in this movie. Yeah, because we've seen actors. I mean, rappers try to act in and in plenty of movies. It's and, glaring. Yeah, and I think we take we take it for granted. How uh, that again with some of these rappers, some just happen to really be good at acting. You know, uh, Tupac. When I see Tupac in films, he's got something about him. You see him in Juice, he's scary as hell. <laughs> he is scary. Cube in this movie, man, he comes across legit. Yeah. Um, and, and and John even says he said he wish he wishes that Ice Cube would have gotten more recognition for his performance in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he did get recognized um, by uh, in Chicago by mm-hmm. their group uh, for best uh, new actor. Uh, but I mean, when you see him on screen, he's just you believe him. You know, what they don't know, don't show. <laughs> Move, punk. <laughs> Yeah, he was move. That's Ice Cube. That's that's yeah. him. Like that's some improv. Yeah, Ice Cube charging everybody up. That's just Ice Cube. Just like how he was saying Nia Long, how she was talking to a Cuba. Like that's just that's, Nia Long. That's, 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 that's just Nia Long. That ain't yeah. acting. That's her. Mm-hmm. That's and of course, you got you got you you gonna bring some of you and your history you know, to <laughs> to the role. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Ice Cube gets enough enough credit. True, and especially I mean, first time, first time acting, and then the other guy, uh, I guess Dookie. I guess maybe it was his nickname. At least he had a shirt on that said Dookie later on. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, the guy's with the pacifier. Name. Yeah, yeah. And how that was a real thing that he would do. He was trying to stop smoking, so he had this little pacifier, and he just they just incorporated that in. But he wasn't uh, an actor by trade. He was actually once he was also a rapper as well. Mm. And this was like his first film, wow. and you know he improv improv in some spots here and there. But he's memorable, and he, he does a, a serviceable job in his sure. character. And 
But what you find unfortunately is that he, you know, also passed passed away uh, in, in a drive by drive by shooting, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know terrible and and, and and tragic. But but John took took some risks on some people. After you get these established people, all right, let's let's make you know take some risks and uh, and his networking, man, John, man, this guy was a networker. He worked security <laughs> yeah. slash, uh, what was it? Security slash something, uh, a production assistant. Security oh, slash PA, PA on, the, P- yeah. on the Pee Wee Herman show, which is where he met Lawrence Fishburne and, and told him that, you know, he was going to work on something and he would eventually, you know, bring him into it. And then he met Ice Cube while he was um, working or interning at the Arsenio Hall show. Mm. That's where he met Ice Cube. And then mm-hmm. they would run into each other, and he told him he was he was creating something, and he wanted him to be in it. And one day, Ice Cube actually gave him a ride home from uh, some kind of party. Like something happened to his ride, and Ice Cube gave him a, a, a ride home, and he said he wouldn't forget that. And, and eventually, the next time they talked, he sent Ice Cube the script. And Cube actually came in to read. He auditioned. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. It was terrible. Said so it went just absolutely terrible for Doughboy or somebody else. No, for Doughboy because really? the role was written for him. Yeah. Like John had Ice Cube in mind so the whole time. So what was the switch? How did it switch? Oh man, I'm trying to remember what what notes? what he what he did, but they he brought him in and John had a conversation with him, and one, I think it's once he got to the set, maybe it's once he got to the set. He saw he saw something, and and then all it all just it just clicked. So the inside. So he already had the he, job, he, even though the reading was terrible. Yeah, more, more or less. I mean, the part was made for him. It was his to lose. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. The part was 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 Cube's to lose. And whatever he did the first time didn't work. Maybe he came in, he was in his head, and he was trying just too hard. Because you know, if somebody tries to act, sometimes that that can oh, be the yeah. worst thing. These are my lines. <laughs> Instead of just being in the moment, and I think when you're in the mm-hmm. moment, and you're there, and you can make the environment real, be in real environments, then that just takes takes it to the level when you can actually. You can give your actors a room like work that feels like it's real, versus pretend the the dinosaurs over there. Yeah, and but he but he was able to find it and and went with it. Was that in the uh, the documentary? When they it were was talking about that. Okay. Oh yeah, it was. It's John Singleton, uh, and then this interview is done with Ice Cube. And it's all you know, kind of intercut together, and, mm-hmm. and then it's Lawrence Fishburne. There's actually there's two of them on there because there's one that that talks about. Uh, at least on the Blu-ray, there's also one that talks about you know the, the the legacy of the film that was made a couple of years later, and there's one that was made even later on. Because mm-hmm. in, in one of the films, you can tell it's around '99 or 2000, because when Lawrence Fishburne's there, he's got his head shaved like he'd been playing Morpheus. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that's done later on, where you know Fishburne has all the has all the gray that's mm-hmm. there. So um, yeah, but both are worth talking about because they they all reminisce in Cuba as well. You see him. Earlier, when he's he's got you know his hair cut kind of shorter, mm-hmm. and then you see him later later on when he's got more facial hair, and you okay. see that 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 progression. Okay, um, I see, I see. So it's it's always a risk. That's a big risk, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it, a lot of the believability. I mean, it hinges kind of on, on Doughboy's Doughboy's performance. I mean, Trey's performance is is, is key, but. Doughboys from that that believability of someone who's been who's been kind of pulled to that side and has has, has lived and, and gone to to juvie and all that kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. and also I mean kudos to the to the kid actors uh, with what they did uh, early on to to establish the feel of those characters and to then to then carry over as yeah. the time progresses. Yeah, the guy playing Ricky looked just like him. Oh man, he was a dead ringer, <laughs> dead ringer. From and the guy playing Doughboy, the younger kid, like hilarious. Mm-hmm. 
But even, you know, I, I find it interesting that when you see that even though that, you know, Ricky and, 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 and Doughboy would, would, would fight, that they were still brothers. At the end of the day, they were still brothers. And even when, when those gang members take the ball, Doughboy tries to go and, and, and get his brother's ball. Yeah. Right? He got some heart. He only went ahead hard at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went in and kicked kick the dude. <laughs> I was going to give it back to you, too. <laughs> yeah, it just makes you stop and think about people who are in these situations who, you know, who grow up in this lifestyle and, and those who get out, those who, those who don't. You know, I've got people from my high school that uh, have died, you know, and passed away, shot, killed, you know, and some were, some were like Ricky, you know, there, there's some people that I ran track with in high school mm-hmm. that just got caught up in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. And people in my neighborhood and I, and I, I, I didn't grow up in the hood, you know, I'm in a su- pretty suburban area, Yeah, but it was enough mix of just people from all over. It was just. Yeah, and and it's a situation where, especially being young, you can go find a trouble if you if that's what it wasn't hard. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> you can, you know where to go if you want to be safe, and if once it was funny because even in the car when when uh, Trey and Ricky are talking and they're coming back from their father's from his father's office, he said, "What you want to do?" And he's like, "Where's your, where's your brother? I'm gonna crunch all the rest of them knuckleheads. You want to go? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for real." <laughs> Like sure enough, that's where the trouble starts. Yep, that's true. That that is true. If they had to go, th- but you almost have the feeling that it's almost like inevitable. Like eventually, in some setting, somewhere, at least with Doughboy, that things would happen. Some mm-hmm. somehow, some something would get crossed. But but it, it's really it, it really pulls at you because it was it was the, the the kid who had a path to get out. You know, who was like, okay, I, I got I got these these things, and I'm I'm ready to to get out and they they set you up with that hope mm-hmm. and they shoot it down literally you're like oh man Reggae. well done well done yes yes um, yes okay moving right along uh, you can use colors to show unity and so there's a, a shot where Ricky's expecting you know the the recruiter to come over mm-hmm. he's dressed in his yellow shirt his mom has like the same mustard looking orange yellow 90s. shirts and when I first saw this thing I was like oh they're dressed the, the colors look alike but that's all I took away from it I didn't I didn't catch it I I, I didn't catch it until the commentary when he mentioned it I'm like mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> I hadn't even pay, I wasn't paying attention but that's all that's all I, my brain thought you know I didn't think about you know, it's her favorite son, and of course, they're mm-hmm. gonna be dressed. And they may not have that many dress clothes, and when they are in dress clothes, and she got this some season, and you know, there might be a backstory to that, to why they're the same colors, whatever. But you can use um, colors to show unity. You know, we saw that with mom and son, and then also like with the gangbangers, you know, wearing red and black, and like their <laughs> their cars matching the colors that they're wearing all the time. The Chicago, and I think that's a vice lord's color, but hey, if I'm wrong, hey. Let, let us know, uh, but kind of them showing their unity, why they're different than some of the other gangbangers, is using those colors to do that. Definitely, you can direct sound too. Yes, yes. Well, John talks about the classes that he took at USC mm-hmm. dealing with sound. The first time he took his like uh, one of the sound classes, he he didn't make that good of a grade. Yeah, like a D on it. Yeah, like a D. But he went back and he took it again, and was really able to see to see the value in it. And he talks about directing the sound multiple times throughout the commentary. When you listen to it, he's going to tell you where, okay, look, you know, like when, when 
when Trey and Ricky are, are driving, I think on the way to go see Trey's dad, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky stops and looks out the window because he knew or John knew that there was going to be a sound effect that was going to take place. And so you have to compensate for what the, things are going to be added in later on. The actor has to be ready to, to react to it. Um, but also, you know, towards the end, you know, he talks about how when that scene is set up, when, when, the, when the car pulls up and it's kind of in, in, in soft focus mm-hmm. and, and, and Ricky sees it and turns it and then the sound drops out. Yep. It's like, and, that, and it's powerful. It's, I think you can hear a heartbeat maybe. It was, uh, you hear a kid, was it kids playing? There's some kids, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, he's just, you know, just running and just that, that emotion. That, that, and that's the scene. Yeah. That's the scene that sticks with you. Uh, it, it's so tragic, but yeah, the, but it, you get sucked in by, by the silence of it. And it's just isolated. And then they eventually roll it back in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so John talks about direct the sound. Absolutely direct the sound. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was, it was, it was powerful. So use sound to to help your productions out. And there wasn't a large budget here. So uh, as you know, in the city of the thing, there's tons of helicopters, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> car chases, all that stuff. So basically how he had to compensate for that is like when you're looking outside the window and it's nighttime, you see the lights kind of flash and looking for <laughs> it's a helicopter. And then you have the sound to kind of match that. And then you always have. Uh, say like Nia, Nia Long she was like reacting to somebody being shot outside but you don't see that scene you just see her reacting to it mm-hmm. and so she jumps but you know she's reacting to a sound effect and you put that in later or um, whenever the recruiter's over the house at Ricky's house and he keeps looking up at the ceiling because of the helicopter he's not used to being in this environment he's like why do helicopters and all that stuff and then all of that adding to the tension of when 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 after Trey and Ricky are pulled over by the police yeah. and he, he gets to, to Nia's house and you know, even as he's there and he's welling up with, with just so, this frustration, everything in that environment, even as the, the lights of the helicopters, you know, kind of flicker through through the windows and, and the sound effect of it overhead, all that it just builds to this 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 tension of this environment that just has him ready to to explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, yeah, just all just just builds up and feeds in. Yeah, it's like being trapped in this martial law environment where you're under surveillance, and it's 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 terrible. It is. What about like uh, themes in the film? Are there any particular themes oh, in the films that that that, uh, that you saw? I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot to write any down. <laughs> and there's like there's, there's tons here, but anyhow, I got um, a few I jotted down. Of course, father and son. You know that's you know of uh, the having a father figure around kind of showing the difference between what does life look like if you do have like a father figure around what does life look like when he's not present you know and what Mm -hmm. happens in that situation when the mom has to make these choices and and raise men i think i think there's also a difference in in saying um having a father figure around versus having a good father Mm. you know Mm -hmm. because there are some homes where a dad is present and where and where maybe the kids wish that he wasn't that's true. You know, as it, it saves abusive or whatever the case may be. But having a good father, parents that care, yeah, parents that care because uh, we were talking about this. Um, me and my wife were watching this that Trey had two parents that were educated and were willing to kind of work, you know, work with the child. Mm-hmm. You know, like okay, I keep on the weekends, you keep during the week. Their relation didn't work out, but they were still tr- trying to have a relationship 
you know, with a kid without a bunch of drama happening. Right. You you juxtapose that with uh, Ricky's mom who's cussing out her her son with your fat self, you know, and saying Man. all this crazy stuff like, you know, what, what happens to that psyche of that person, you know, when you're talking to him like that early on. Right. He's then, angry. That yeah. kid's angry. And, and you know, potentially resentful of, of his brother mm-hmm. because, I mean, the, 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 the difference in how she treats one versus the other is substantial. And so thematically, there is a Cain and Abel mm-hmm. um, theme between Ricky and, and Doughboy mm-hmm. um, where, you know, Ricky is the good son. Can yeah. do no wrong. He's he is the he's the golden child, mm-hmm. uh, and and Doughboy is 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 the failure, and 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 that's that's even that's most on display in once they bring Ricky's body mm-hmm. back into the house, man, and and Doughboy is 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 in this terrible situation, and and trying to actually step up and and do do right, you know, it's like give me give me the baby, you know, he doesn't need to be seeing this, and the girlfriend's like, no, you don't touch him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to to his to his mom, and he tries to comfort his mother in the midst of his brother's death, and and they have this embrace, and it feels like again just for a moment that okay, this has some semblance of being a normal family dealing with tragedy, but then the mom just you know what did you do? What did you do? Mm-hmm. And instead of staying in the embrace, she breaks it, and then she goes crazy, black mom, and like swinging and just hitting him. That that man, <laughs> she took it to the next level. I'm like. Oh, okay. All right. And and Cuba there, you know, trying to you know break him up, and and you know all Doughboy can do is just like nothing, you know. No, but that is you talk about like this the ultimate rejection and guilt now that he mm-hmm. has to to live with. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, he, him and, and the fact that they the fact that he and his brother ended their like race in a fight, yep. on the front lawn, and yeah. he has to deal with that. And too. that's what their mother and the daughter, you know, uh, his. Girlfriend, they're reacting to because what they do remember is them leaving. They was in a fight. They were probably talking about that. Why are they always fighting? Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, he's dead. They don't know what happened. We do as an audience, but they don't. Yeah. And so, like that, those were some real reactions. And then you you think about all that, and then them going to track down the the killers. I didn't really think about it at the time, but you know, I knew Dobe had gone to jail. But you know, you kind of you know because he's packing the strap. You may have assumed that maybe he's killed people before, or shot people before. But the way John described it, the commentary, no, he crossed when he shot this guy. He, that's when he crossed the line. He asked, that's his like his first time smoking somebody, and you kind of see it in the expression on his face after he does it. Like, like I just, I just crossed the line. This is killing somebody, mm-hmm. and it's like, like he, like he, like lost a part of himself in doing that. Uh, and again, just such a, again, it's a, it's a human story. But yeah, the, the theme of Cain and Abel, I think, is there. There's also. A theme of like the, the the social order of the ghetto in 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 yeah, having yeah. to defend your stuff. Again, we saw it earlier on when the when the ball was 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 taken when they were kids, mm-hmm. and why Doughboy went to try and defend and get Ricky's ball back. We we see it, you know, again on the porch when the recruiters coming through and when Cube is is telling people to move 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 punk, you know, <laughs> just scooting people along and just yeah, what you got, you have to no matter how small it is, that's yours and you have to defend it or somebody will will come and lay claim and and take some of your pride as well. Mm-hmm. What else? What True. else? I would say also what um, we've talked about this thing before, but just what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. Getting the gun, getting the revenge. You know, does that make you a man? Like, what? What's that definition? Because the guys, there's not a lot of them around. Yeah, you know. So, 
they're searching for that. What is what does it actually mean in in this environment? What does it mean to be a, a man? Him trying to get that revenge too. Talking about that is like you know he's getting revenge, but it it's not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And it's like once sweet he has that too. time, sweet revenge. Yeah, I love the fact that once he comes to that place, we're realizing that no, he doesn't want to cross that line. He does. He doesn't want to be involved in that in that in that shooting. And when he's getting out of the car, he still has the blood of his friend on him. Still, still, his clothes are still stained with it, and it just makes you wonder, you know, how many, how many young people growing up in whatever kind of environment, but whatever kind of violent environment, mm-hmm. experience the, the the death, the murder of, of a friend or a loved one, um, and are stained with that, and in a moment of passion or anger, can can retaliate in a very human way, almost, you know. Um, if a soldier did it, if a police officer did it, you know, it, it might be just seem humane and maybe justified. Um, another human doing it and then literally life ruined. I mean, it could have just literally ruined Trey's life. But one moment of, of, of restraint, different direction. And um, yeah, and it's easier to, you know, like heal further away. Like his friend had that big old machine gun or whatever, street sweeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uzi? Just, yeah. Uh, I was like a, like a It was bigger than Uzi. Yeah. yeah. Like a submachine gun. So he's shooting all the guys. They could just bleed out. You know, he can just shoot them. They just bleed out. But as you made it more personal, you know, yeah. so let's bring this up close and personal. And, you know, if he would have shot further away, you know, the reaction would have been different. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like it didn't happen. It's like when people are in, in war. And we're dropping bombs, you know, on people. Through drones. Yeah, through drones, bombs. There's no, you don't see it. But when you're there and you're actually in an environment of warfare, and you're there on the ground, you're shooting people and you see kids and you see the realities of war. It affects you a little differently. You feel it. Yeah. You you, you don't come back right. Yeah. You 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 feel it. The, the sights, the sounds, the smells. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, when something explodes, even, the shockwaves, the heat, the force of it doesn't go away easy. But one last theme that I see is gangsters are like cowboys. Mm-hmm. Um, like we kind of mentioned this earlier, but, yeah, when they when they stop and they show that they're carrying a piece, like, yeah. you know, what, what, what's going on? What do you want to do? That's no different from, again, from John Wayne. Uh, it's no different from Clint Eastwood and these, mm-hmm. these, these gunslingers and outlaws with their guns in their holsters on their side, on their hips, just ready to draw. You know, mm-hmm. hey, high noon. Um, and, you know, I'll go and round up my posse, my gang, and we'll we'll have a good old-fashioned shootout. <laughs> but, you know, it was the same thing. And, again, the Westerns are often praised and, and, and seen as good classic classic movies. You know, you can find somebody devout, and, oh, we're going to go and watch a John Wayne movie, and, and, and that's okay. Do you find Westerns to be classic films? Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I find that there are people <laughs> who find westerns as classic films, but I mean there are plenty that that are that are considered great. Yes, yeah, yeah. I haven't done my um, the spaghetti westerns, the again, different ones with John Wayne. There are ones that are there. Shoot out the OK Corral, um, the Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven is yeah, I, I dig that one a lot. I think that that's if you were to start with any western, I'd say start with that one, the original Magnificent Seven. That uh, it's better than the remake. Remake mm-hmm. was okay, but the original, yeah, yeah, the original is is, is worth checking out. I um, think I don't know if I'm gonna ever do that because I think, <laughs> I think but, you for your honesty. Yeah, 
Thank you for your recommendation. I'm going to lock it in the box, drop it in the ocean. And throw it away. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll scuba dive for it one day, but uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I have a recommendation. Thanks. I don't think I'll ever take it. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My granddad loved westerns. Like, he like the black and white ones, Bonanza, all that stuff. Mm. I'm sitting there, like, dying. Like, just looking at this, like, why? Like, right. what's 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 the point? Yeah, I don't get it. But as I got older, you know, you start seeing like there's a correlation between taking care of your own territory, mm-hmm. uh, standing up for your woman, your family, like all, all there's a lot of things uh some like things and morals and that you can relate to as being a man inside West. And so now I kinda understand why he did a watch. It was like one of the few things where it was like this is a man's movie. You yeah, know? I was gonna say there there there's some of the most quote unquote macho kind yeah. of films that you could find as far as like just stroking the male ego. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it's to a degree, it's a fantasy, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, yeah, it's a, it's like a male, male fantasy, you know, the, the man who used to get the girl, gets the woman. And, uh, it's, it's especially for the white male. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mainly that. Cause some of the ones I saw, like how they were doing native people, native Americans, oh, like, man. How, how are you watching this? Like, yeah. When you look back now, you're like, Ooh, it's right. Ra- it's racist as hell. This yeah. is, this is bad. It's pretty bad. I didn't yeah. get any enjoyment out of it. There, um, there are some good modern westerns, though. So the modern ones, like Posse, when Posse came out, <laughs> oh man, you Posse, know, Mario like, Van Peebles, you know, that, like uh, that made me like, all right, I'll check out, I'll check out Posse. You ever or, seen Unforgiven? Clint Eastwood, Unforgiven. Yo, that's that one's good. Yeah, that's Academy. Of, oh, I'm not saying Academy Academy Award winning film. Mm-hmm. That was I remember I saw it as a kid. I was like, Morgan Freeman's in it. That one is. Yeah, unforgiven. That's that's Tombstone. that's held as one of the greatest Tombstone. westerns. Yeah. Oh yeah, another classic, man. Val yeah. Kilmer, um, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Some Some people other. swear by Tombstone. But yeah, I never really went out of my way to be like western because, I, and we also know from doing our research that you know westerns don't travel well, and mm. uh, it's American specific, so it's almost a death sentence, you know, to put a lot of money into a western. Um, the most recent one was uh, Tarantino's film. Uh, the Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's the l- one that I can remember where. Or 310 to Yuma. But that's, that's good. Yeah, that's that a good one was too. good. Um, I mean, a good, a good movie is a good movie, right? True. And can, and, and can transcend transcend the, the genre mm-hmm. uh, if it's a, a, a really good movie. And there are a lot of good movies that are based on other movies. Some say that actually... Um, the Magnificent Seven is is actually a, a based on Kurosawa's uh, film of the the Seven Samurai. Mm, okay. Apparently, have you ever seen the Seven Samurai? No. Apparently, there are a lot of films that are influenced directly from that film. Interesting. I I hear correlations to it all the time. Okay. I don't know westerns though. You know, I, but I'm, I'm not defending them. I'm just saying there's a, there's, there's a there, I'm saying there's, there's a couple of gems, there's a couple a of diamonds. There's yeah, a there's a couple there's a couple of diamonds in the in the rough. I don't I don't go out of my way to watch westerns. I, I would not call myself a western fan. My dad was a fan of mm-hmm. of westerns. He used to yeah like Bonanza and uh, Lucas Lucas McCain the the Rifleman and stuff like that and oh, yeah. Maverick and all that. I, again, as a kid, I was like ah, I don't I don't get it. But again, as I got older, there were a couple couple that I saw. I'm like, okay, this is just a good movie. 
and and worth 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 watching. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's gonna be a I don't know one time in my life where I'm gonna be let me watch some westerns this year and see what happens. Yeah. I might end up liking it. Who knows? But I tell you, one of the things that turned me off early, kind of early on, is when I started researching. Uh, like in sixth grade, and we started researching kind of cowboys and things like things like that, and and, and the west and what was taking place in that time period. And I, I read somewhere that that there were actually way more black and Hispanic cowboys mm. than any of these pictures and movies were depicting. That there were a lot of them, and I was like. Like the and, Buffalo you know, Soldiers. And, yeah, there were yeah. a lot of black cowboys and a lot of Hispanic cowboys, but these movies weren't showing that at all. And I remember reading about guys like Deadwood Dick, um, who was just, you know, amazing. A writer, shooter, you know, whatever. Like, dude was the man. Uh, his real name was Nate something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know him by Deadwood Dick. Uh, and I was like, man, I don't see... I don't see them on the screen when it comes to, to Cowboys and Westerns. And so Posse was kind of like a little bit of a revelation to see that, okay, we've got mm. black, some black Cowboys. Okay. But apparently that, that was a norm. Like I say, that, we don't really get that in a lot of Westerns. Shout out to Tarantino again, you know, in uh, Django. Mm. Having Jamie Foxx on the, on the horse there. and True. Getting his revenge was kind of his taste into having a Western. A Western with a slavery backdrop. Yeah. So, yeah, he kind of snuck in the, the Western thing. Tip. Another tip. Take acting lessons. Uh, John Singleton, he was taking acting lessons. And um, by and the class was being taught by the man that plays Grady on Sanford and Son. He was The reason he was taking these lessons is so he can talk the language of an actor, you know, so he can communicate better with his actors. That was his reason for that. So, um, for you... People that are learning to be directors, you know, take some acting classes and put yourself in the same situation that some of these actors would be in. That's good advice. And that, that, that is good advice, being able to speak the lingo. But one of the things before we wrap, I want to mention is that I was, I was really shocked to learn with this film how well it did at it was Cannes mm. when it premiered there and the standing ovation that they got. And that created such a buzz that helped it over here in the U.S., uh, and I wasn't aware that the film did as well as it did monetarily. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear you hear about it in time, you know, comes and goes. And I wasn't aware. I mean, I knew it was popular, but, you know, sometimes there's black popular, like, a, you know, it's popular just within the black community. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, it's, you know, being just successful. This was a successful film. And um, Singleton even mentioned that Spielberg told him that his favorite scene is the scene when Ricky's body is brought back to the house because it makes you feel like you don't want to be there in the environment because it's so uncomfortable. But, uh, but yeah, the the success it has had and it's springboarding off of what it did uh, in another country. And again, at the end of the day, you know, it's being able to tell a human story and and this being a human story that was very personal to John Singleton. I don't think we mentioned that how how audio autobiographical. Mm-hmm. This movie is uh, for John. And from talking about his father, talking about where he grew up, talking about you know going from living with his mom, to living with his dad. Um, I think it's important for uh, filmmakers, and you see it a lot with their first films, that a lot of themselves they say write what you know. They say mm-hmm. that a lot, write what you know, and putting that into their films. You know, Ryan. You know, we see Ryan Coogler put a lot of his own personal life into films. Um, we see what am I thinking about um, I think it's Craig Brewer uh, they did Hustle and Flow even though it's about a black rapper 
a lot of the things dealing with his own father, he was able to put inside Hustle and Flow and kind of gave it that feel. Because when you look at Hustle and Flow from just an outside eyes, you think, oh, just some rapper trying to be a pimp, something like that. But when you actually see it, you see that he, you know, struggles with relationships and, you know, he has the man, uh, his father son relationship that he's, you know, trying to figure out and kind of live on. And, uh, but anyhow, but that was something that happened in Craig's life with yeah, his own father and his own father passing away and how he was kind of implementing that into his film and his, you know, father telling him to go ahead and make a movie, you know, go ahead and do that. Mm. When his father passed, he was like, you know, I'm gonna do that. You know? <laughs> yes. Write what you know, put that into the, and put that into your films. Yeah. It made me think about like, what's going to be the thing that I put into my joint. I think about that a lot. It makes sense, though, man. I mean, it it really, really does. Who who knows your history better than you, and who who, who could tell that through just the lens of, of of your eye and what you see in your perspective? That's it's a powerful thing. That and that is uniquely you. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Oh yeah, yeah. Shout out to Ken's from Festival because one of the few places where you know they show you know the brothers some love. You know, Black Kansman, it was there, you know, standing ovations and everything like that. But um, they appreciate film. They appreciate good films. Mm-hmm. And um, and even when your film has some color in it, it doesn't matter. A good film is a good film. Yeah. And it can. And they celebrate it. Yeah. And it can influence others in other countries. And um, yeah. So, I mean, John Singleton was influenced by those who came before and he has gone on to influence many afterwards not just the other kind of crime gang related films that are based in the states but films in other countries that came out of um, Mm -hmm. what was going on in Boys in the Hood true it's kind of sad too it's like you have to go kind of get this from another country another culture who they're celebrating your film but you you know your own American culture isn't viewing you as American it's just some black guy made this whatever (laughs) you know yeah that's uh, kind of sad. But kudos to the to the studio for taking a risk. True. Because again, before this, there was I mean, you know, again, you had you had colors, but Ice Cube mentioned it in the behind the scenes that that was more so about showing how difficult it is to be a cop uh, on the scenes versus this was talking about what was happening in the hood and mm-hmm. their their struggles uh, in living and and in getting out. So, yeah. Well, oh well. We appreciate y'all tuning in this week for filmmaker commentary. If y'all have any suggestions for some films, please leave us a leave us a note on our facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. Uh, we'll be sure to check that out. Make sure that the film that you want us to look at has commentary on it. Um, and also, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and next week we will be reviewing, listening to the movie A Scanner Darkly. Until next time. Peace. Peace.